Undoubtedly, the most effective way of censoring someone whose views one does not wish to be heard is to kill them, or, failing that, to frighten them into silence. History is unfortunately littered with such figures, one of the most famous being Socrates, who was condemned to death in Athens in 399 BCE for his unorthodox beliefs and habits. A more recent example is provided by Steve Biko, who founded the Black Consciousness Movement in South Africa in the late 1960s. His political activities caused him to be banned by the apartheid regime in March 1973, which meant that he was not allowed to speak to more than one person at a time, was restricted to certain areas, could not make speeches in public, and could not even be quoted. On 17 August 1977, Biko broke his banning order by visiting Cape Town and was arrested at a police roadblock under the Terrorism Act No. 83 of 1967. Whilst in prison, he was repeatedly tortured until, near death, he was transported in a police van 1,500 kilometres to Pretoria, where there was a prison with hospital facilities. He died shortly after arrival on September 12. In spite of his massive head injuries, the police claimed his death was the result of an extended hunger strike. No prosecutions were ever brought. Biko's story is the subject of Donald Wood's book Biko in 1978, which formed the basis of Richard Attenborough's film Cry Freedom, 1987. Today, however, it is most frequently journalists and those working with them who fall victim to this ultimate form of censorship. Killing the Messenger On June 16, 2008, the Secretary-General of the United Nations, Ban Ki-moon, unveiled a light sculpture on the roof of BBC Broadcasting House in central London. Called Breathing, the 10-metre glass and steel cone projects into the air a beam of light one kilometre high every night during the BBC's 10 o'clock television news bulletin. The memorial's inauguration followed the deaths in Afghanistan of two BBC journalists, Abdul Samad Rahani and Naste Dahir Farah, but is dedicated to all news journalists and those working with them who have been killed whilst carrying out their work. As Rodney Pinder, the director of the International News Safety Institute, INSI, which co-hosted the event with the BBC, put it, These men and women are the unsung heroes of democracy, for without a free press there can be no freedom. This shaft of light in the capital of international journalism is a visual reminder of their sacrifice. Whilst the BBC chairman, Sir Michael Lyons, said, we are all reminded of the daily risks taken by journalists in some of the world's most dangerous places. The implicit contract whereby journalists place their lives at risk to help us understand the world and its events better needs to be reaffirmed at moments like this. Threats to journalists, and not simply to those working in war zones, are now so severe worldwide that on December 23, 2006, the United Nations Security Council unanimously adopted Resolution 1738, which condemns international attacks against journalists, media professionals and associated personnel, reminds member states that under the 1949 Geneva Conventions and their two additional protocols of 1977, 
such as workers engaged in dangerous professional missions in areas of armed conflict, shall be considered as civilians and shall be respected and protected as such, and reaffirms the need to bring to justice those involved in attacking them. Interestingly, the US has signed, but not ratified, the 1977 Protocols. Of course, war zones are extremely dangerous, but most journalists killed in such places, particularly Iraq, are deliberately targeted and not the random victims of battlefield fire. Meanwhile, the number of journalists killed indiscriminately steadily rises as those involved in conflicts become increasingly reckless with regard to the safety of journalists. For example, the 16 Serbian journalists who were killed when NATO forces bombed the headquarters of Radio Television of Serbia in Belgrade on April 23, 1999 during the Kosovo War.